Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. The Economist. In London, this is The Economist, and you're listening to Babbage, a weekly conversation on science and technology. I'm Kenneth Kukier, the data editor, and on today's show, we'll discuss the genetic roots of schizophrenia and new innovations in touchscreen technology. With me here today to talk about these topics are Natasha Loder, our healthcare correspondent. Hello, Natasha. Hello. And Paul Markley, our innovation editor. Hello, Paul. Hi. Natasha, let's start with you. Scientists have identified the genes responsible for schizophrenia. Tell us more. Scientists have been looking for a long time for the genes that may be involved in the disease that we know as schizophrenia, and they haven't had much luck. We know that it is likely to involve genes because there's a strong kind of heritable component to it. If you have a family member, for example, who has schizophrenia, then you yourself are much more likely to develop it. It occurs about one in a 100 people, but like I say, if you have a family member um, who has schizophrenia, then your chances of having it go up. So there's been a long hunt for the genes, and it hasn't been very successful. Um, and just remember that the human genome was sequenced, what, 16 years ago now. And it's only this week that scientists are finally saying, OK, we're starting to understand which genes are involved. Um, more importantly, one of the, the genes that they think is a sort of driver gene, if you like. It's more responsible than the others. It's sort of first among equal. What it actually codes for gives a real strong clue to, you know, what actually may be the cause, the sort of mechanistic cause of schizophrenia, something we had no idea of before now. And do we know more about that? What is the, if you will, cause of schizophrenia? Yeah, this is the really, really fascinating thing about this study. And that is that the C4 gene, which has been implicated as being this sort of first among equals uh, within the study, is it codes for a protein called a complement protein. And we know a couple of things about this complement protein. It's part of the immune system. And, for example, one of its roles in the body is to tag viruses, say, uh, for destruction by the immune system. But in the brain, this C4 protein is really important in a process called synaptic pruning. Now, pruning of synapses is something that goes on in all of us. And, you know, as we develop from birth, we generate a lot of neurons and it's, it's part of the normal process of development to prune away these neurons and the sequence in which it is done is kind of very important in human development. Excuse me, and let me interject. So when in synaptic pruning, what is the benefit of that and what is the manifestation in the person? Is it a way for the brain to clean itself from memories? What is it? It's like rebooting the chips in your computer, clear them out and put new data in. Well, that's right. That's what, that's what I'm, I, I seem to vaguely recall from college. I mean, I wouldn't put it quite like that. It's a natural process that the brain has to go through um, in order to 
complete the process of development. It's If you think about the process by which memories are, are made, for example, and stored, you would want to kind of create connections in places and strengthen them to retain memories and then prune away the ones you're not using. I don't know if you saw, um, there was a Pixar film called uh, Inside Out, and that kind of was really kind of graphic about the way in which memories are chucked out when they're not used and things like that. But more broadly, within, within schizophrenia, what we're saying is, you know, this, this normal process of synaptic pruning is potentially becoming uh, derailed at some point. And what you've got to remember is, is that during adolescence, when schizophrenia typically occurs, there's quite a lot of that going on. And, you know, what this is all hinting at is that potentially people with schizophrenia are overexpressing this complement protein and that's leading to overpruning and that's causing the kind of, you know, really devastating symptoms that you see in patients with uh, schizophrenia. These would include hallucinations and delusions and muddled thinking. I mean, it's a really destructive disorder. But, you know, what this will allow people to do now is really look for that as potentially the cause. And by knowing this, apparently, I presume that we would be able to build drugs that would target it and remedy the disease. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the most exciting thing because, you know, if you're you're in the pharmaceutical industry, you have now what is known as a target. Uh, all the drugs that we have for schizophrenia at the moment are, are things that we wouldn't describe as disease modifying. We cannot modify the disease because we do not know, did not know what it was. But now, now we know what schizophrenia is. You know, there's there's hope that we could modify this disease. And that's really exciting. Now, you know, there's already work, I understand, going on on complement proteins. So it may not be that, you know, we're starting the firing gun now for drug companies to sort of develop something from scratch. It may be that, you know, when we look around, there are already drugs perhaps that modify this disease, but we just aren't aware of them. And very generally, how is it that the researchers were able to identify these suite of genes? What they did was they took an enormous sample, and and, and that's really kind of the, the sort of starting point to sort of understanding um, the genetics of really complicated diseases. I mean, if you're looking for a, a disease in which the presence or absence of a single gene is sort of absolutely indicative that you will get it, say, like Huntingdon's, you don't need to examine very many human genomes to figure out which gene, if you didn't know, was causing it. But when you've got uh, a disease that's incredibly complicated, you need to look at an incredible number of human genomes in order to sort of isolate the ones that are responsible. And the the scientists here looked at 100,000 human genomes. And what made it even more complicated was that this gene for C4 is what what someone called a, a messy gene. It's structurally very variable. And so it was just tough. It was a tough job and needed, you know, a lot of analysis. That's really exciting. It strikes me that five years ago, we probably didn't even have 100,000 DNA samples. And 16 years ago, we didn't even have one. We probably had the samples. What we didn't have was the sequences. Um, but yes, it's it's a fair point. It's like, you know, big data is really helping us to sort of solve some of the hardest scientific questions, as I'm sure uh, our data <laughs> editor will <laughs> no doubt uh, attest to. That, that was a naked plug for data indeed. Paul, now on to you. You're writing about advances in touchscreen technology this week. Tell me. Does this mean that I won't actually be sending text messages anymore that are completely laced with embarrassing spelling mistakes? No, you just look at the screen, flash your eyebrows, and um, the way the message will go. Not quite, but um, 
technology is going a little bit beyond just the fat finger trying to pick out the right character on the keyboard. So there is help coming in that area. I mean, what we'll be getting to see is the touchscreen is moving from the was already really moved from the very basic resistive type, which you basically stabbed your finger at a transparent um, screen that would then compress two conductive sheets together and create a circuit to a system called capacitive touchscreens. Now, electrical capacitance is uh, what happens when you walk on a carpet and charge yourself up with static electricity. You are storing it, and when you touch something, it discharges. So the screen in most modern smartphones and this is certainly where the technology is going now use this principle below just below the screen is a grid and this carries an electric field which um, normally has a solid steady state when you bring your finger very close or touch it there is an electrical discharge from that to your finger, just as there is with static electricity. The point of that change in capacitance is detected by the grid and the software and the chip controlling the screen to say, ah, that's where your finger is. Now, this system allows the use of two fingers, so you can do pinch techniques and things like that. And some very interesting research going on to make these grids better and more effective. One indeed might use silver or gold nanoparticles. Graphene is another possibility because it's transparent. So the trick is you need a material that's highly conductive but also virtually invisible because you want a good quality on the screen. And there's a limited number out there. But Of course, gold and silver aren't, but there, there, there may be techniques of using that with a novel form of 3D printing to do it at such a scale that you can't see it. And And so then you will see... Screens that are more responsive to touch. Is it costly? When do we expect to see it as uh, ordinary consumers? And I'm begging to ask the question, what will this mean for blind people if they wanted Braille? Is this a way for ordinary screens to be Braille compliant? It could um, in what they call this haptic technology, it's a sense sure. of touch. Yep. You could perhaps even do that. But then there's other technologies coming as well. I mean, the new um, Apple phone has has a resistive ability. You can press the screen as well as just touching it, like the old earlier types that are still mm-hmm. used on cash machines and things like that. Google is looking at a small radar chip that you have embedded just underneath the screen. So that could detect hand movements. I know Samsung has some, you can do some hand movements. And that's done with a separate sensor above the screen. The idea is the screen itself is actually sensitive to these movements. Um, BMW's had a go with a camera above the driver so that if the phone rings and you could look down or hear the number, if you just point to the screen, accept the call, or just swipe it away because it's the office, then it will um, reject the call. So you'll start to see sort of more gestures and and ways of actually using the touchscreens as they basically become ubiquitous to just operate in just about every device we have now. Interesting. And in what time frame can we expect these new forms of touchscreens? In the next two or three years, or is this in the lab still? Some of them are in the lab, but they're appearing at events like the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, where you're seeing working prototypes. Um, but you, if we use, say, for instance, somebody does actually manage to do it with uh, graphene, then that's, that brings the possibility of a very foldable touchscreen that you could roll up like a newspaper, unroll, and have touchscreen capabilities. I'm of the impression that the porn industry often is very greatly underestimated in its ability to uh, use these kinds of uh, novel developments. 
I should imagine there are all sorts of possibilities that arise from sort of force feedback and things like that that we haven't even begun to think of. You're talking about touchy-feely stuff oh, on touch yes. screens. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, how would that work? Um, well, I mean, there you've got me. I, I just think, I just think, you know, we need we need to be aware. <laughs> I'm sorry, Natasha. That was unfair. I set you up. <clears throat> I, I, I'm blushing. I'm blushing. The the mind exactly. boggles, doesn't it, yeah. Ken? And, and, and with, with a microphone in front of us, it's like a bottle of wine. How could it work? Having how, too much fun. How could it possibly work, Ken? I mean, how could it work? Let's just put our minds to that for yeah. a second. S- sadly. Like Unless you could roll it up and put it in your pocket, possibly. Yeah, but I, I kind of like the idea, you know, from Braille. I mean, if you can, you know, if you can reproduce dots on a screen, who knows what you could do. You might be able to do that. And you do it dynamically. You, I mean, you could have a, <laughs> exactly. a, a fixed screen. But it would just, as you project the particular icon in a certain place, you could probably also project the texture that exactly. represents that icon. So, and, and, and if you add touch resistance, it's not just moving a finger around, firing off all the, you know, you find the right material surface or what feels like the right material surface and then you press to operate that command. Yeah, I think I think the mind only just well my mind can stretch well, to what is going to be possible. My mind is less stretchy because I'm thinking of a different kind of e commerce instead of one based on the porn industry. I was thinking more just like buying clothing online, you'd be able to feel the the texture of the garment, the suedeness of the suede versus the leatheriness of the leather rather than the fleshiness of the flesh to keep the metaphor alive. Sadly, that's all we have time for this week. Thank you very much, Paul. It's a pleasure. And Natasha, always. Thank you, as always, yes. That's all for Babbage. Remember, if you want to join the conversation, you can tweet us at EconSciTech, find us on Facebook at The Economist, and someday with a screen, feel us too. But for the moment, you'll have to survive on social media as it is. You've been listening to Babbage. For more news on science and technology, visit Economist.com. In London, this is The Economist. The Economist. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.